to Apostates Anonymous, the show you turn to when you're no longer a heretic. I'm your host, Matthew J. DiStefano, and for the next hour, I'll be your Sherpa to nowhere in particular. Nowhere in particular. How the hell are you? It is November 16th. I'm recording on the 15th. It's a lovely Sunday afternoon. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. I hope everyone's doing well. I hope everyone is COVID free. God damn. We are not doing well. Are you guys sick of winning? Is everyone sick of winning right now? You're going to be sick of winning. We are, we are winning the race to, uh, Couple million people <laughs> being sick of COVID. Sick and tired of being sick and tired. I tell you what. It's uh it's crazy world out there. Be well, wear your mask, wash your hands, do everything that you can to protect yourself. Cause YOLO, you only get one life. Um uh, maybe we'll talk about the afterlife sometime. Anyway, before we get into it, we got a good show for you. We got a great show. We have a fantastic show for you. But before we get into it, I got to tell you, I'm really excited. I am a dozen patron, uh, Patreon supporters away from 100. If we get to 100, we go to the next level on content creation. I've already jumped on Patheos uh, again, so I'm excited about that. Um, so I'm going to be putting out even more content if we get to 100. So if you want to support the show, huge shout out to those who do. It's patreon.com slash mjdistefano. I've got a tier that's a dollar a month. If you got hardly any money or if you got a lot of money but you only want to support it one dollar, that's great. I got the cheap stuff for you. It goes up after that and you get you got a lot of exciting uh, exciting things if you sign up. Um, but like I said, I'm on Patheos again. That's where I blogged for a couple of years, but it's been over a year and a half. It's been two years since I really went went at it hard on Patheos. But I'm back on there again. So it's Patheos slash blogs, blogs slash all set free. Check the show notes. I'll post the link. It's either blog or blogs. I can't fucking remember. But subscribe on there. And um, it, it would be awesome. Awesome if you did that. I've got some good content. I've been itching to write lately. So I'm going to do that. I've been itching to talk about stuff. Um, just cause I like, to, I like to hear myself talk and I like to read the things I write. No, I do. I do like doing that. I just love creating content. It is so fun. Human beings are meant to be creative. So find your creative outlet and, and lean into that. Cause I will tell you what, it is the most awesomest, tremendous, fantastic thing ever, ever, ever. So we got a good show for you today. We have the one and only Rafael Palendo. Owner of Choir Publishing, producer of the Heretic Happy Hour, the man behind the scenes, the guy with a face for radio, who pulls all the strings, who is my daddy. <laughs> my corporate daddy. He's a suit. We're getting him on the show. And then we're going to talk about whatever we're going to talk about after that. But at first, we are going to sit down and talk with Rafael Palendo owner of Choir Publishing, and my friend. Uh, 
new phone. Who dis? Uh, Daddy, is that you? <laughs> it just sounds so weird coming out of your voice. <laughs> How are you? How the fuck are you? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Trying to stay warm. Yeah? Uh, California warm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's not like, you know, North Dakota in the middle of no. winter. Cold. But... No. I was watching a... Uh... I don't know. It was like a little video clip of a local LA uh, weatherman who was talking about an Arctic cold front and talking about uh, <laughs> de- uh, frigid temperatures in the low fifties to upper forties. <laughs> it's brutal, man. It's brutal out here. <laughs> what are you guys going to do, man? Seriously. Yeah. Well, it's good to have you. Yeah. You're, you're, you're the, you're the behind the scenes guy, but every now and then we get you out front in front of a mic. I know. I just, I, my mom said I've got a face for radio and you guys keep trying to drag me out here. So. Oh, don't, I was, you know what? I was in uh, just out of high school and into college. I was in a band called face for radio. Oh, that's great. That's yeah. a great band name. It is a great band. name. We were not a great band, but it was a great band name. We really, <laughs> we really wanted to be the get up kids. Uh, I mean, if nothing else, your, your band merch should have taken off. Yeah, we never got around to band merch. We recorded uh, a two two song demo, and it was. I wish I had it, but it was it was shit. Uh, I mean, speaking of music, I heard there's going to be a new hip hop album dropping soon. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. If I can get my act together. Mm. Well, shameless plug there. Set yeah, thank you. You are you're throwing you're throwing uh, softballs, man. See, you should this, do the you should do the interview. I know this this isn't even my podcast. I'm still producing. Like, what's going <laughs> on? <here? laughs> I know. I had Adam Erickson on like. Uh, a month ago and he just started like right off the bat started asking me questions and i was just like <laughs> what the fuck's going on here man like take a seat yeah yeah so so ralph you and i other than uh you know being partners in crime on the heretic happy hour and choir publishing mm-hmm. you and i you and i share an affinity for the office among other things yeah among other things but i'm obsessed with the office and i know you kind of are too so i thought let me ask you what 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 stands out when it comes to the office for you? Dang, that's a good question. I feel like uh, okay, so here's here's my take on it. I was actually thinking about it the other day of like what made a lot of the office so iconic when it first came out, and then what made it kind of like dovetail towards the end. And one thing I thought about was a lot of the early episodes of the office were creating culture. Whereas a lot of the latter episodes were co-opting culture. So here's what I mean by that is like, I know that's what she said existed before the office, but it didn't really have the same level of awareness or exposure as when the office incorporated it into a running gag. And so like, you know, here's, here's a bit that they do. And because of the office, they, they form this like cultural awareness, this cultural joke that people latched onto and, and were, you know, utilizing and sharing. Um, but then you get to the later episodes and then you have like the situation where uh, like Jim and Pam are getting married. Uh, spoiler alert, if anyone hasn't watched that far, but that's your fault. And, uh, and then they do the, the whole wedding dance thing, which was, which was already viral pre right. that episode. And so instead right. of creating a cultural moment, they were just co-opting what was already out there. And so it's like, Oh, that's kind of fun. Like, this cultural thing now the office is doing their take on it which it's still fun but it's just not as powerful as when you're the one you know driving these these inside jokes and 
I mean, I love inside jokes. I'd love to be part of one someday. 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 Yeah. <laughs> but that, that's a, uh, I mean, it's part of my analysis of that is a lot of those early episodes were really kind of creating uh, culture and, and creating jokes that people were latching onto and sharing and talking about. Yeah. And, there's a lot of shows that are now like it. Obviously, Parks and Rec kind of spun off of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what, in your opinion, makes The Office kind of set apart in its in its longevity? Like you have younger kids, I've heard as as young as twelve, yeah, that are like into The Office now, and it's like, how does it continue? On? Because <laughs> if you if you watch Michael Scott, you're like, in this day and age, those jokes shouldn't <laughs> land, right? Totally, totally. But they but they somehow do. Yeah, I think, I mean, part of it is, I think they did a really good job of not uh, pigeonholing themselves in their particular era. So, like, a lot of the show still holds up um, in terms of, like, the situations and the and the circumstances. But I think what it really comes down to, what most uh, excellent shows come down to, are their characters. And it's like, you have to build um, these characters and have, have an arc to them, uh, whether it's, you know, a rapid, uh, rapidly changing arc or kind of more of a slow burn, but they have to be characters that people can identify with, that they get on board with, that they begin to understand how this type of person would respond in a certain situation. And then you set up those situations. And then, you know, if you're a fan of the show, you have an anticipation of what's going to happen because you're familiar with this character and then to see it play out, um, is, is fun and exciting. So I think it really does come down to that kind of character development uh, aspect of it and the office has just like 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 name name three characters that you think you could kill off and still have the show as great as it was i mean it's it's almost impossible right it, yeah it it is it, it it it's not i mean other than i mean like the biggest show at the time was like friends and things like that and there was only a small group of that you couldn't do that with but with the office you do have a huge um, amount of characters and you need them all. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even down to like, uh, Bob Vance, Vance refrigeration. Yeah. Like, right. <laughs> yeah. like that joke is hilarious. The fact that he gets married <laughs> as Bob Vance, Vance refrigeration <laughs> is like fucking brilliant. Uh, well, did you hear the fan theory as to why he always says his name like that? It, because he's a genius marketer. Yeah. 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 Just getting free, free advertising. Free, yes. So good. What kind of work, what kind of, what line of work are you in, Bob? <laughs> <laughs> are you surprised that it took off here in the States? Um, no, uh, only because I, and I give credit to the team that, that brought it over here is, you know, when they were porting it over from the British version, I think they realized fairly early on. And some of this is covered in like a little behind the scenes documentary. I think it's available on YouTube. But they realized very quickly that a lot of what worked for the British version contextually wasn't going to work here. And so they actually put in some some uh, time and energy to retool it for an American audience. So, um, yeah, I think I think the, the changes they made and the ways that they tweaked the show are brilliant. And I think that's, uh, you know, a testament to, as a creative, really understanding your audience and uh, – yeah not so much changing your message, but uh, adjusting it in ways that ensure that you're going to communicate appropriately to the audience you're targeting. Yeah. And it's amazing. Have you, um, have you listened to Brian Baumgartner's uh, an oral history of the office? No, I've heard it's great though. 
It is really good. And it's just, um, when you listen to the first couple episodes, it's like, a, I think it's a 10 uh, part podcast series. And in the first couple, they get down to, um, like, they go deep dive on just how tenuous it was to actually launch the office and how many times it got canceled <laughs> in like the first two um, seasons before they yeah. got picked up for an entire season. Yeah. And, and it's just like, I think it's a, t- a testament to the tenacity and the vision that the early producers and writers saw and, and the potential that it had. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's, I, I love watching and listening to stories like that because they're just super inspiring. Um, another, there's a great Netflix series called the movies that made us. Have you heard of that? Uh Yeah. Yeah. It's so good. And just watching like the one on, I think home alone, which was just blockbuster, massive, you know, cultural moment. Uh, people still watch to this day and to hear the background of that movie and how it almost wasn't made and they face like opposition after opposition, roadblock after roadblock and just the perseverance and the belief in what they were doing. And then to see it explode and take off, it's just like, it's just really inspiring. Yeah. It gives us, it gives us hope. (laughs) (laughs) That's those of us who are trying to make it, man. (laughs) For sure. Yeah. I think what was interesting is one of the, um, one of the things that it, it, the office kind of teetered on the brink of going big and, and and disaster was uh, Michael Scott's character. Because in the first season, you have almost no redeeming quality. And, but the character itself is, is amazing. So to change it from episode two, you, I mean, season two, you notice a slight tweak, but only slight enough. You get, he has like a little glimmer of hope that he's Mm -hmm. a real human being at the very end of each episode. Yeah. And I just think that that goes down to like the brilliance of the writing that maybe that's a part of tweaking it from British humor to, to an American audience where we have to have some sort of redeeming quality without losing who Michael Scott really is. Yeah. Yeah. So you need you need so you need the cringe, but you need that glimmer of hope. And I, I just <laughs> the writing of that show, and obviously the delivery of of the characters and the and the actors is, I think, second to none. Honestly, it's it's pretty up there. Yeah, I mean the the closest competition in my heart. Uh, so there's two other TV shows that my wife Taylor and I adore uh, on the level of The Office, and they always kind of like compete for the top spot. Um, but it would be Arrested Development. And it's always sunny in Philadelphia. Sure. Yeah. Like those, those three shows are just, yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. It has the, it has the cringe, right? <laughs> it's got the cringe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what, what character other than Jim, cause everyone would say Jim, uh, <laughs> what character do you, do you identify with? Or is it like a conglomerate of, of, is it like a couple of them? Oh, that's funny. It's a good question. Cause I mean, most people, you know, would say either Jim or Pam. Yeah. Uh, but I think if anyone's honest, they would probably kind of resonate with a lot of different characters, but yeah. Uh, let's see. What would I, man, I wish I had more time to think about this one. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to flip it on you though. I think a better, it. yeah. A better one is who would you say I am? Oh, that's, that's a, that's a good one. Um, yeah. Well, see, see, this is where I think there's a brilliance of the show is that each character, it's kind of, um, there's not an analogy there. It's more archetypal. And so right. I think there would, um, don't get offended. There's like the drive and the creativity and potential of Ryan, 
without the du- without the douchiness. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Well, maybe I just need some, you know, cocaine to in to uh, induce my douchiness because he well, didn't. Yeah, really, yeah, he didn't really yeah. flip until he uh, until he made it as a VP, right? Yeah, and he let the uh, he let the you know the the semblance of of, of success go to his head. Yeah, so it, it may still be in me. It just hasn't been. Hey, it it might be in all of us, you know. He started Wolf dot com. You started Choir. That's so good. It, and if I had to think of you as a character, I forget the dude's name, but you would be the guy who, when Michael had to let someone go, and originally it was going to be Creed. Oh, Devin. But Devin, yeah, you'd be Devin, because I, I could totally see you storming off, being like, you know, Jim, Pam. You know, so and so, come with me. The rest of you go to hell. <laughs> yeah, I, I I could do that. Yeah, yeah, that's that just a final energy. Yeah. yeah, if you ever let me go from choir, I could be like <laughs> Keith, Derek, Jamal, everyone else go to hell. <laughs> yeah, totally see it. Yeah, uh, if you if you could only watch one season the rest of your life, which would it be? Oh man, I know that's a tough question. It is probably between season one and two. I think just because they're the most nostalgic for me. Like, yeah. I feel like even like the first time I saw, I think the first three episodes of season one, I was just like, I'm hooked. This is this is great. Like, yeah. I remember exactly where I was when I saw them. So it was just, just iconic. Yeah. So, yeah, I think I think I'd have to go either two or three. Season one's just so short. It's only six. It episodes, is. So. It is. But man, there's so much gold in that. There is. I mean. um, I think the the one that really set it off, obviously the uh, the um, the pilot is pretty much the same as the um, the original British Office pilot, right? Right. But when it gets into uh, Diversity Day, I mean, mm. the level of cringe <laughs> is so good in that one that I just I can't look away. It's so brilliant. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, when um, doesn't Stanley Stanley gets black guy? Yeah. Uh, and, 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 and the, um, <laughs> when, uh, when, when Dwight, who does Dwight have? Dwight has, uh, does he have Asian? No, I thought, wasn't he Jew? Oh yeah. He was, oh yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Shalom. I would like to apply for a loan. <laughs> it's just, it's so, it's so brilliant. And, and yeah. I think, I think the way it works and the reason why uh, a show like that can, can still be popular today is that they're making fun of those who like aren't sensitive to those things. They're not, they're not necessarily making like crass jokes for the sake of being crass. They're like poking fun at the people who can't see um, how offensive they really are. They're like they're poking fun at characters like Michael, not letting Michael make fun of um, like punching down. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, totally. I, yeah, I think the show definitely makes it clear who is the uh, who the joke is on. Right, um, and that, I think that's one thing that's different from The Office too. I mean the the. So one thing I love about It's Always Sunny is I think they have some brilliant cultural commentary wrapped up in their their episodes and their situations. The office, I wouldn't I don't think it's primarily, you know, cultural commentary. Yeah, it's more like what you're saying. It's more kind of personality commentary. Sure. Um and I think that's that's pretty funny and pretty unique. Yeah. Yeah, it 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 totally is. Um 
I, I, I didn't expect it to be as popular as it, as it is today. And I'm kind of bummed out that it's going off on Netflix. <laughs> I know. I know. I mean, there's, there's been talk of a reboot. What do you think? Would you be interested in it? Like, like started just season 10. Here we go. Yeah. Yeah. Picking up again. Um, I I'm torn. I would be torn. I, it, there, there is part of the nostalgia and there's a part of me that unless you got all the writers, I, 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 I guess I would hold it to quite a high standard that I wouldn't want to be disappointed. Yeah. I mean, most of the writers are the actors themselves. So a lot of them are. Yeah. Yeah. But so, just, just imagine uh, like where we are at culturally now and seeing Michael Scott interact with, you know, Oh, if Carell came <laughs> back. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I would, I don't think I would want to see it unless Steve Carell came back. Yeah. I agree with that. And I and I thought they did as good of a job as they could once Steve left, mm-hmm. but it was never quite the same. But I think they did carve out their own niche and were able to stand on their own two feet at least for a couple seasons. Yeah. Um, and there is, of course, the point that the Office wasn't primarily about Steve Carell or Michael Scott. It mm-hmm. was. Uh, I've heard writers and actors talk about how it's really Pam's um, like coming of age story. Interesting. Um, and because the show goes on after after Michael goes to Colorado. Right. right. Um, and really culminates after Jim and Pam have their problems with the Philadelphia thing um, of her growing up, essentially. And I, and I yeah. like that. And so I think they did a good job of doing that. I don't, however, know how it would go um, mm. if they rebooted it. What about you? Yeah, I think, well, something that could be interesting is obviously – you couldn't set it in the same workplace environment sure. uh, because that kind of dismantled. But I think there's, there's definitely because the characters are so strong, you kind of want to see them in their, you know, how they respond in their natural habitat, so to speak. So like seeing Michael as a dad, I think would be really interesting to watch, um, yeah. you know, Jim and Pam as parents um, and just seeing how that, that plays out. So it would be, I think it'd be tough to bring it back and have some sort of cohesion. Um, but I think there's, there's still plenty to work with. that can make it interesting. It would just have to be in a, in a pretty significantly different direction. Yeah. Like a total serious drama. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Almost like parenthood. Uh-huh. <laughs> parenthood, but with all the office characters. <laughs> that'd be, that'd be strange. Yeah. See what Meredith is like after um, graduate school. Uh-huh. <laughs> a sober Meredith. That's good. Yeah. Well, they had they had talked about a spinoff of Dwight's Farm, and that went nowhere. Mm, right. Yeah. Because I think that was one of the lowest rated episodes when they teased that out when it was uh, when they were at Shroot Farms. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and they probably thought, no, nah, let's not do that. <laughs> yeah, it's probably smart. Yeah, it was smart. I mean, it's it's one of the smartest shows I've I've ever watched. Uh, like you said, there are a couple others that, but for me, they don't really compete. Um, but that's just my personal taste. Yeah, you're you're faithful to your first love. I am. I don't. I don't. <laughs> I, I don't. Never mind. <laughs> I don't mean to get you in trouble. I just. <laughs> yeah, you do. I swear to God, you do. Are we still recording? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh man. Yeah. Well, um let's uh let's close with this. 
uh, Desert Island, just pick off the top of your head five of your favorite episodes. Oh, man. Uh, let's see. Diversity Day is up there. Yeah. Um, I think the uh, sexual harassment training is another golden one. Yeah. Um, you know, I do have to say is as difficult as some of those like later seasons were, I did Mm -hmm. love, it's either the last episode or the second to last episode, um, where Dwight's getting married and just, just the scene where like Michael comes back as the best man. Oh yeah. I think that's that scene alone just holds that episode for me. So. I would yeah. add that in the mix. I, I tear up on that one every time. Yeah. Yep. It's a, it's a good one. Spoiler for those of you who haven't watched. Uh, it's a, you know what? After <laughs> after like five years, it's on you. It's on you. It's been longer than that, right? Okay. Yeah, I'm guessing. Yeah. yeah. Six, seven years maybe. Yeah. So that's, uh, what is that? Three? Three. Um, uh, man, I, it's it's going to be tough to pick two more. That's fine. It's, it's, um, just answer this for me. Mm-hmm. Do you, if you're streaming through like my wife and I do every night, mm-hmm. uh, do you skip Scott's tots or do you watch? Oh, uh, <laughs> I watch. Uh, I love it. Yeah. I think it's hilarious. My wife can't handle it. Hey, Mr. Scott, what you going to do? I think you need to make a meme that's like, if you can't handle me at my Scott's tots, you, know, <laughs> you, you don't get me at my, uh, mm-hmm. know, some other episode. <laughs> yeah. That's a tough one. Uh-huh. That's that, a tough one. It's it's that one. Well, there's two episodes or two scenes episodes that people list as like the top most cringeworthy. It's that one, and why am I drawing a blank on the other one? Um, is is it dinner party? Yes, dinner party. That okay, one was actually that's, like rated. Yeah. Oh, that's my absolute favorite one. Yeah, that I'd add that to my top five. When he <laughs> when he pushes this TV <laughs> two inches into the wall. I lose it every time. That's probably the episode that we have the most quotes from. Oh, for sure. Like, yeah, every every line is just quotable. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. We had we had friends. I, I learned the uh, the hunter song, and we <laughs> yeah. we sang it to them uh, <laughs> on his birthday or something. Oh good, yeah, yeah. So yeah, dinner party and Scott's tots. But I I, I feel like Scott's tots is even more cringeworthy because. Dinner party, it's it's cringy because of the characters involved. But Scott's Tots, it's like it's third party that's yeah. getting screwed over, and you're just yeah. like, oh, that's you know, they're not part of this. They don't deserve this, right? And they've been waiting for like since they were in what, third grade. <laughs> I mean, you expect you expect Jan to absolutely, like she says, implode on herself like a dying star. <laughs> I mean, you see this relationship obviously is 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 going off a cliff. Mm-hmm. And and it just happens to be with coworkers at your house. Oh, so good. But with Scott's Tots, it's like <laughs> primarily like inner city I know, it's so black brutal. high school. And he just oh, like <laughs> so brutal. So brutal. And then all he all he can give them is is a battery for their if they have a laptop. <laughs> it's like it's like someone like falling down a mountain hitting every rock on the way yep. down. Because yep. it's not even just a straight plummet. It's like yeah. Yeah, it's bad. Yeah. And I think it was, uh, I forget the writers, Paul Lieberstein, I think, and one other, and they were so proud that they got the, like the cringiest episode. <laughs> well, I love too, that he never writes himself in his episodes. I, I totally. It's so good. Yeah. I yeah. appreciate that. Yeah, totally. Well, Ralph, thank you for talking office. I appreciate it, man. Same here. It's good to, to nerd out on that. So apologize to your listeners who were expecting something with more depth. 
Oh, I don't I don't know if I do too much depth here. I mean, sometimes I do, but sometimes I just uh, talk shit. Hmm. Okay. I thought so, I thought you mostly do that. Well, I was <laughs> trying to be kind to myself. <laughs> self-love. Yes, yeah, self-love. I'm all about it. <laughs> Speaking of which, I, I'll, I'll let you go. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thanks, homie. Uh, all right, buddy. Bye. Bye. Uh, it's so good to talk to Ralph. We don't get to talk to him too much. Even on Heretic Happy Hour. You know, he's behind the scenes. He's not talking with us uh, just before and after the show messaging us while we record the show, keeping us on track, keeping us well-behaved. But I don't get to talk to that dude as much as I would like to, but so happy that he has graced us with his presence. So happy that he is also an Office fan like I am. We've um, we've had a couple Zoom sessions because he lives down in Orange County and uh, me and my wife live up here in uh, Northern California. It's about an eight-hour drive. I've been down to his house a bunch, but uh, we've had a couple Zoom trivia days or nights, uh, my family and his family, and even some other friends of theirs, uh, where we have office trivia, and each uh, each couple has to come up with questions that are fun, but we try to stump one another, and um, I don't remember. I think, uh, I think my wife and I might have got second last time. It was like a close race between us and some other couple, if I remember correctly. And I don't remember who won the first trivia night, but it was close. We're both we're both pretty uh, pretty privy to the office quotes and references, so it's always good to have a dude like that. Ralph, huge shout out to you! Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for putting out such good quality content at Choir.com. Also, linking in there in the show notes if you want to check out Choir Publishing, check out the show notes. Choir.com, lots of great books, books. I read lots of books. So, what do I want to talk about today? Uh, God, that's all I got. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> no, I wanted to talk about bias. B-I-A-S. Bias. And the fact that, because we always hear that that term, that media outlets, bias. They have a bias. Well, I've got news for you. Everyone has a bias. Everyone. Everyone has a bias. No one is purely objective. That doesn't mean there aren't objective truths, perhaps. That doesn't mean there might not be an objective reality, but even that might be up for debate. Um, It just means that no matter the objectivity, we have a subjective opinion of that. We have subjective experiences that are unique to us. We all have a bias. We have a bias with our politics. We have a bias with our religion and our faith and our spirituality. We have a bias for everything. And that bias is based on our direct subject experiences. So it's not bad that people have biases. You hear a lot of, um, at least in politics, you hear a lot of people saying, oh, the, the, the mainstream media leans left. They have a left bias. They're a liberal bias. Well, that is true. That is true. Most are liberal as opposed to, I don't know, whatever in America might be the middle, whatever that is. They probably lean left, or they do. And Fox News has a right bias. And that is not necessarily in theory bad, 
I think what the danger is, is that we cross that line of bias and we get into like an alternate alternate reality where facts don't matter, you know, where reason and logic don't matter. We swing the pendulum so far that we fly off the edge of the flat earth. <laughs> we get out into crazy land. And and I think we we do that because we sort of see our own obje- uh, subjective experiences as like normative. Like it's it's kind of like the our way or the highway. We we see our worldview as what is right and true and that nothing can deviate off of that. Left or right. The left does it too, but I notice it a lot on the right. They talk about the left bias, but they don't necessarily acknowledge their own biases. Whereas, for the most part, the truth is somewhere in the middle between a lot of people's right and left. And and that, and that doesn't mean all of them. There are non-negotiables. But in terms of bias, it's generally somewhere in the middle. What we just need to do is understand that everyone has a bias. And I think it opens up an avenue to listen to people on the quote-unquote other side. Just to simply say, even if it's as much as this, yeah, I realize that I'm going to have implicit biases. So I'm willing to listen to you. I'm willing to hear your idea. I still will probably disagree, but at least if I understand that maybe you'll teach me something or maybe you'll shed some insight onto something that I hadn't considered because I have my biases and I have my subjective experiences and you have yours. I I hope that makes sense. It doesn't mean we're going to tolerate something that is intolerable. It doesn't mean we're going to agree at the end of the day. It's just going so far as to say, I understand I have biases. Just please understand that you do too. So if we, if we, you know, condemn the left wing media, you know, we have to realize that our biases then is right wing or at least somewhere right of left. And the same can go for, uh, for theology. This is a big one in theology. You know, a lot of, con- you know, very conservative evangelicals will talk about biblical truths and biblical realities and a biblical worldview and clear scripture. The Bible is clear, brother. It's so crystal clear. Um, newsflash, no, it's not. You have your biases, which is to read it in such a way that it makes sense to you and is clear to you. But a lot of times that's not clear in the text, right? You're reading into something to make it clear for you. That's not necessarily what a lot of things mean or the variety of things, the variety of meaning that can be in the text. Sometimes the text is so ambiguous that there can't be a clear meaning. And we have to wrestle with the tension and the agnosticism that comes from it. And we have to learn to be okay with the fact that it's not clear. 
And yes, that's my bias. I, I probably have a bias toward that because it's been my experience. I've had to grow comfortable with the fact that I can't know what certain things mean or the totality of something. And, and if you really, if that like repulses you, you probably have a bias towards whatever your experiences have been, which is that you've probably found comfort in the fact that it's clear to you. A lot of times we're just trying to find comfort in the world. I think that's why a lot of people stick with religious systems. It makes you comfortable at times. There was a certain comfortability when I was in the throngs of evangelicalism. Ultimately, no, it wasn't comfortable. That's part of why I walked away. Because I I was no longer comfortable. I was no longer comfortable with the answers that I had to the questions that I had. Or the non-answers that I had to the questions. But a lot of people stay really comfortable. They're super comfortable. Wednesday. Bible studies, Sunday, worship, sermon, see the same people all the time, listen to the pastor talk about the same stuff, tell you what you already kind of know. There's a ritual aspect to this that is very comforting to, to many people. And it was even comfortable to me for a while. And, and, and they approach, they use that kind of bias of their experiences that has led to comfort to read the Bible in such a way that continues to make them comfortable. I mean, there's irony in that because the Bible should not make us comfortable. In fact, it should make us very uncomfortable, especially the people on top, rich, white, male, <laughs> the people on top of society ugh, should be really uncomfortable when they read the Bible, which is why I'm always fascinated that People talk about a Christian nation, a Christian empire called America, the United States of America. Because a lot of the critique in the Bible is of those in charge. So uh, if you want to be a Christian nation, it almost seems oxymoronic if you want to be a Christian nation. But again, this is just my bias. <laughs> this is just the way I read it. That's how I read it. It's how a lot of people read it. It's how a lot of people don't read it. Uh, and this is the, the great debate between Christians is like how to read the Bible. It's been the great debate for a long, long time, which is, I mean, I gotta be honest with y'all, which is one of the reasons why I don't even like, I like to read the Bible, but I don't care at the end of the day what it says. You know, I just don't, it, it's, um. It's just not something that I'm like tired of it. I'm tired of having the debates. Like I'm kind of, I'm I'm cool with using it for like a resource every now and then cuz there's a lot of great shit in it. But as far as like my authority, it's not the Bible. My authority is not the Bible. It's it's direct experience of the universe. You know, at the end of the day, and a lot of Christians are going to disagree with that. But at the end of the day, that's what I, that's what I got to go with. I mean, in philosophical terms, it'd be like my epistemology starts with phenomenology. <laughs> my the what I know, what I know, 
is based on firsthand experience. I know how to love the LGBT community because of knowing them, because of talking to them, because of my direct experience with them. So I don't care what the Bible says. You know, sometimes the Bible can confirm or disagree with our direct experiences. But that's okay. The Bible disagrees with itself. Because everyone who wrote the Bible or edited the Bible had biases too. Had subjective experience that didn't line up with other people's subjective experiences. And I think the cool thing about God, about truth, about reality, capital R, is that we all have similar enough experiences to where we can actually talk about it. We just have to understand that we're going to come at it from a different angle. Mike, Mike and I uh, always talk about how different faiths just seem to be saying the similar things, but pointing at the truth from a different vantage point. So if we're both looking at the same thing, but we're 100 feet away, we might see different nuances in that thing that we're both pointing at. We might come at it from different angles. It might be a right angle for one person, it might be a 45 degree angle for another person. So if you're Christian, Buddhist, Muslim, whatever, you might see that one thing, truth, reality, God, love, bliss, consciousness, but it's different, but it's the same. And and we can only get to that place, I think, in realizing that we have our biases and having empathy and compassion, the two ingredients to love, which is what I got that from Derek Day. We have to have those things for one another. And that's how we're going to heal the divide. Oh, God, can we even heal the divide in the United States? Jesus Christ. Only with the power of the Lord. Oh, it's going to take a lot. It's going to take a lot of painful work, folks. It's going to be a, it, it's going to be a long winter. It's going to be a long winter. Because I don't, I don't think people are getting this kind of stuff. I don't think people are getting this stuff at all. It's hard for people to have empathy and compassion for one another right now. It takes a lot of patience, a lot of inner work, a lot of going within. You need a life coach. We all need life coaches <laughs> and counselors. I am for that. I am for that 100%. But man, it's going to be a long winter and a long 2021. I hope it's better than 2020. People say, can it get worse? You need to. You need to quiet with that noise. Yes, it could get worse. Let's not tempt the gods. <laughs> Let's not tempt the gods because we are nowhere near starting to show compassion and empathy on the broadest scale. We are not listening to one another. We're not hearing one another. We're not taking the time to understand one another. And uh, I don't know. A lot, a lot of people are. Let's be fair. We we read the sensationalized news stories. A lot of people are, but we're just focusing on on the nastiness. And there's a lot of nastiness. Let's be, let's be real. But you know, maybe that's a part of it. It's it's what we focus on too. If you want to see good in the world, you'll see good in the world. If you want to see bad shit in the world, you'll see bad shit in the world. And there's a lot of both. So I think a lot of our times we got to spend focusing on good shit, just positive stuff. It's not going to positive energy and I'm not one of those raw, raw positive stuff. 
is going to fix everything. But it can't, it can't hurt to have a little more positivity in the world. I, I include myself at the start of that uh, list, at the start of that line that I need to get in line to start seeing more positive shit because I could be a pessimist. So I'm preaching to my one-man choir. But it can't hurt to have a little more positivity, y'all. Positivity. So, um, you know, maybe give my man Jamal Javanji a, a, a ring-a-ding-ding and uh, sign up for some life coaching if you need some positive energy in your world. So, anyway, I uh, I got nothing else to say. I got nothing else to say. I hope you enjoyed Raphael. I love getting that guy in front of a microphone every now and then instead of just behind the scenes. And um, I hope I rambled my way into at least a couple of cohesive things that that were beneficial to you all. If they were, and if you have not yet done so, support me on Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N slash MJ DiStefano. Link in the show notes. If you have not yet picked up the Bonfire Sessions series of booklets there on Amazon for 99 cents a piece, Heretic right now, my book is $3.99 on Kindle. From the Blood of Abel is $3.99 on Kindle. If you do not have Kindle, my books are in print. And the Bonfire Sessions, year one, which are all four booklets, will be compiled into a paperback that Choir's going to publish. It'll be out on 420 of 2021 with a forward by Derek Day. So if you do not have Kindle, fret not. Fret not, fine people. We're going to hook you up in April. So be on the lookout for that. Peace and love. Do something nice for someone. Do something nice for your neighbor this week. If you see a homeless person, you got extra $10. Give them $10. Buy them a sandwich. Do one thing nice for a stranger. While social distancing and with your mask on. You uncivilized heathens. (laughs) Peace and love. Bye. Thank you.